0: morning to the gospel according to mark the gospel according to mark now we're actually in a sermon series that has several layers to it um, which i'm going to reveal over the next few weeks (laughs) Um, one of those however is we're going to look at four different perspectives of jesus from the four different gospels about jesus so we're, we've already looked at Matthew, which last week we talked about Jesus being the High King. The King of Kings, Lord of Lords. As, as uh, Rachel just read moments ago from one of the passages that we read from uh, Sunday, is that His name will be called Jesus because He will save us from our sin. And His name itself, Jesus, means salvation. That's what that name means. It's really, if it's in the Hebrew, it's Joshua. Um, and when you translate it into the Greek, it is Jesus. So, let's look here in Mark at this second gospel that we find and, and look at the perspective that Mark gives to us. You know, there's four gospels for a reason. Uh, they are not similar. Um, they, are, they are actually in some respects very different, although Mark is the most shared of them all. In other words, his content is found within the others more than any of the other ones are. He doesn't have a lot of original material. He's also one of the shorter, or actually the shortest, um, gospel of Jesus Christ. So notice this, the gospel according to Mark, here's the way he begins his gospel. This is the very first thing he says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, quote, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. John appeared... After me comes He who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your Word to us. May we hear it today by the power of the Holy Spirit, as Your Word to us. And may we then respond to You in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you go to Israel today and want to see where Jesus was born, again... The Bible is very clear, as I said last week, it will bore you with its genealogies and, and historical records in the Old Testament and within the New. Remember, the whole New Testament begins with a boring genealogy, right? It's trying to prove to us... That these events are historical. They're not happening out here in some fantastical world that we can't ever get to or go visit. Rather, it's happening here in our real world. There's a real lineage here. There's real descendants, predecessors. And if you go to Israel today to see where Christ was born, you know we're singing about Him, uh, then you're going to go to Bethlehem. Uh, And you're going to find a small cathedral there. And that cathedral within it is a small cave. And this cave has a small entrance. Now the cathedral has a larger entrance, obviously. But the cave does not. This cave where they believe that Jesus was born. Again, it's a supposed location. Um, And you go in there and, and the only way to get in is to actually stoop down and kneel down and kind of work your way in. Because the door is is very small. Isn't that how Christ came? He didn't come for those who are high and mighty, think they have it all together. Rather, in order to approach Jesus Christ, just like to get into where He was born, you got to kneel. You have to be on your knees in submission. Jesus today is what I'm going to say. Jesus is the lowly servant. We move from last week seeing the high king of heaven, (laughs) king of kings, lord of lords, creator of all things, all things were created through him, by him, for him, now to a lowly servant born in a barn, this is the equivalent, in a manger, in a trough, to use a southern term, in a trough. And he's laid there in wraps of cloth. He slips in on a silent night in Bethlehem, again, not a popular city, not some big time city, while the elite are sleeping well, while all the media is talking about other stuff going on in the world, the God of the universe slips into our world in the dark places of Bethlehem where there's not even any room for him in the local motel. That's how God comes to us. That's what God's advent, his coming to us, his first appearing to us in the flesh looks like. And he's in the form of a baby who's been gestating in Mary for nine months, and now she's due. And the time has come, and the umbilical cord is cut, and there's blood, and there's crying. That's why, you know, the the song, Silent Night, it probably wasn't all that silent. At least not for a little while, right? They do go into that deep sleep, you know, uh, which is nice. And then all of a sudden something happens, and they never sleep again until a year later. Um, God Himself becomes man. Man becomes one of us. <laughs> I don't know, if that, if that doesn't blow the top off of your, your thinking cap, I don't know what else in the world could. The one who created physics, mathematics, engineering, science, biology, all the different colors, all the different animals and seasons and climate changes... The God who did all of this stuff and just spoke it into existence now becomes part of His very creation. He takes on His creation and is wrapped not only in swaddling clothes but also in flesh and blood. Which is why you won't get through Christmas time without singing about the blood of Christ. This is why in our room today In this place of worship, there are poinsettias that are red. Christmas colors are red. Why? Because God, who had no blood, took on blood. Who had no body, took on a human body. Took on flesh and blood. And all this for a new creation. Which is why we have green here to represent The new creation. And of course, since we're on the kick, the purple is regal, royal, kingly. (laughs) And so He comes, and He comes to rescue. He comes to save us from our sin. (laughs) Uh. Now, Mark's gospel is the shortest gospel. Which So if you're trying to get through one of the gospels quickly, uh, it's, it's, your, it's your best bet. Uh, I like to think of Mark a lot like myself. He doesn't have a lot of fluff. That's what you call it in the academic world when you just add stuff in just to add it in there. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of fluff to his writing. His writing is straightforward. One of His favorite terms to use, it's used over 33 times in the book, is immediately. If you ever studied the Gospel of Mark, you'll see, and immediately Jesus went here. And then immediately He went here. I mean, He's just boom, 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 boom. When I'm telling a story, there's not much detail to it. It's the core facts, and then I'm done. You know, just ask me how my day goes, and it's within a minute. I ask her how her day is, and it's within an hour. Um, it is the difference in the way we speak to one another. Now, if you talk to Luke... Luke is on Jessica's side. He's longer. He's more detailed. You have to remember, he was a physician, right? Physicians know how to keep a lot of records. So when when, when Luke is talking about Jesus in the garden, he says, he went about a stone's throw away to pray. Mark just says, he went to go pray, man. You don't need to know how far he went to pray. He just went to pray. So the Gospel of Mark is the shortest, most brief Gospel And yet, its material is shared within Matthew and within Luke. Almost 90% of the material is found in another gospel, which is pretty wild. And Mark says to us at the beginning of his gospel, I'm going to keep it brief, therefore, here's what you need to know. Jesus is the Son of God. He begins with a confession of faith. He confesses that Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, how does he know this? Isaiah. He goes right to the Old Testament. He connects his gospel directly to Isaiah, where you get this prophecy of one who is crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. And so, have you noticed today already how many times John the Baptist has been mentioned? Have you ever noticed that all the Gospels deal with John the Baptist? Even John, the Gospel of John, who's very unique to the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He doesn't follow their same pattern. Most of his material is absolutely original to him and unique. But the way he begins is he says, Look, Jesus is the Word of God, but don't confuse Him with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not God. That's how popular John the Baptist was during this day. Do you not remember later on when Jesus is having a discussion with the Pharisees? They're scared to even say that John is not a prophet for fear that the people would kill him. In other words, you don't tell me that John is not a prophet because I absolutely know he is speaking the words of God. So why is John so important? What is the significance? At Christmas time, I thought it was about Jesus, not about John. Well, interestingly, here's the way uh, the Bible always works. You could call it biblical logic, and that is we always come from, we humans, from someone else. Our way is always prepared by someone else. I don't know if you've noticed this in life, but you can't do everything on your own. I have a friend at my dad's church who told me a story that was shocking to me at first, and the longer I've thought about it, I have a good response. It's kind of like one of those times where if, if, if it was spur of the moment, you wouldn't have been able to respond, but then later on you think about it, and you're like, oh, I would have had a great response if I could have thought about it a little bit more. Uh, that happens to me often. I'm not always that good on my feet. That's why I have to prepare. And it's why I think John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. Uh, and here's what he said to me. He said he was working with this surgeon, this uh, Cardiologist, um, and and the guy had did a surgery for this older couple, and the the man that had this I don't know triple bypass, this crazy surgery, and, and it actually came through well. And so he, you know, the, the doctor went to meet with with the lady and to tell her her husband was fine. And so he said, you know, we we were able to do this, this, and that, and um, and he said, you know, and he, he he's going to make it. It's it's going to be all right. And she said, oh, thank you, Lord, thank you so much. And he said, why are you thanking him? I'm the one who did the surgery. That's one way to live life, isn't it? Think we did everything? Stand tall and say, Oh, yeah, I, I, I accomplished this. I'm, I'm the one who brought this family, and this, I'm the one who makes the money around here. I'm the one, I, I, I. That's, that's one way to live life. But I would ask that fellow Did you make the knives that cut? Did you, did you create the energy to air condition the surgery room? Did you make the bed? But they were, did you do the anesthesia, you mix it up yourself? Did you figure all that out yourself by a lot? Did you not ever go to school and learn from someone else the techniques of even how to do a triple bypass? Did you do all that yourself? Really? You did all that? No, you see, you only played a very small part in this thing of this surgery. If we actually look at our lives, we see that really we play a small part of what's been given to us. And that's why all the more reason we ought to be careful and responsible for what we do have. Not always wishing for what we don't have, or striving for what we don't have, but rather satisfied, content. What does Paul say later on in the New Testament? I've learned to be content with whatever I've got. There's an old legend that says that Satan and his demons were having a Christmas party. And after the Christmas party, one of the demons passing by, Satan jokingly said, well, Merry Christmas, sir. And Satan all of a sudden got serious and said, keep it merry. Because if you don't keep it merry, then they'll start looking for God. Isn't that the truth about us? As long as you give us entertainment, as long as you give us food, as long as we're laid up on our couch at night, sleeping in a comfortable bed... We're not really going to ask for much. We're not going to cause much trouble. And we also won't cause any trouble for Satan. Because we'll be working on his side. We'll be missing those who are hurting around us. We'll be missing the poor because all we're concerned with is ourself. Life is not about me. I have to remind myself of that all the time, you know. And some of the ways we do that is through our giving. Purposefully giving our money away that we worked hard for (laughs) to God and His work in the world to make sure that we're not just building our kingdom but rather His. You see, truly, as I've told you before, it's all His. You know, my kids every year, right, they give me a a Christmas gift. (laughs) And it's awesome. I, I love to receive their little Christmas gift, you know. Uh, But I bought it. They don't have a job. You realize that, right? They don't have a job. So I supply the money that buys my own gift. When we come to God, we say, man, Lord, look how much I'm giving you. I really hope you're going to buy. It's all His. It's all His. We think we've done something. We think we've really found something. And yet, it's all His. Truly, we don't know what is best for us. We get it confused. I always tell the classical story, which I love to tell, about Frank, who is my second son named Baylor. That's his nickname. Well, it's one of his nicknames. His brothers call him Bertie. I call him Frank. His mother calls him Baylor. And one morning, we woke up and Jackson was was, was saying, Hey, Bertie is trying to cut me with a knife. I thought, well, you know, he's... That kitchenette set that we got them and, and they got the little play stuff out and, you know, they're just messing around. I'm not even going to worry about that. Only to realize that we don't have a kitchenette set because we don't have girls. We don't have any fake silverware in our house. We have guns and knives and these sorts of things, you know, uh, combat knives, not uh, cutlery knives. But And so I, I jump up, run in there, and here's Frank. With his little pasty in his mouth, watching Mickey Mouse on television, dual wielding two stainless steel knives from the dishwasher, and I come in there and there he is, and he's <laughs> right by the coffee table. And I think, oh my goodness, what am I? What am I going to do? You know, because you know what happens when you approach a child who has something that they want, who has something that they thought they just discovered and did all by theirself, right? What's going to happen? They're going to pull back on it. And if that's the case, he's going to stab himself. If I continue, to like, hey, that's fine. Good. Keep playing. He's going to stab his brother. <laughs> so I'm in quite a pickle here. And I just start approaching him with my hands out. And I say, baby, give daddy those. Give daddy those. And just slowly get there and take them away. Isn't that like us? That is just like me. I think I've really worked for something. I think that I've really found something that's mine. It's all mine. It's my little secret. I got in there myself. I I did all the work myself. You know, I'm really proud of it. Only to find out that it hurts other people. Only to find out that it actually will kill me. And God says to us, give me that. Give me that. What are we going to do? Pull back? Is that going to be our response? Or this? This? It's always the cross, isn't it, for Christians? Our life is the way of the cross. God becomes lowly. He takes quite a trip (laughs) from the glory of heaven to the humbleness of a manger, a trough with animals, stinking animals to our headaches, to the fact that He will have to go through death, loss, hurt. Jesus weeps, doesn't He? He grieves. In times of grief, people don't need answers. They may ask for answers. They don't need answers. Jesus doesn't offer answers, does He? No. What He does is He weeps with them. We must also weep with them. To offer answers, you can destroy someone. Because our answers are cheap. Who is the answer? Is God. He comes lowly, and this coming from heaven all the way down to the manger, it doesn't end there. He actually then is baptized right here after the passage we read. In the Jordan River, do you know that the Jordan is the lowest place on the face of the earth? Do you know that? It's actually under sea level. That's why the Dead Sea is dead, you know. It actually is because it's under sea level. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth. And He comes and He's baptized there on purpose by John. Because He comes to rescue us. He has to go as low as we are. He has to come as low as we go in our sin. That's why ultimately we believe He even went to Hades for us. He descended to the place of the dead. And then from there, He starts His trek back up. Remember, He resurrects on the third day. And I found it interesting that a story came out this past week of a man who survived underwater for three days. Did you, it's crazy. He's down there. They send a rescue. The boat sinks. Everybody's dead. They go recover the bodies. Guy reaches out for a hand that's dead. The hand's not dead. It grabs back at him. Dude's alive. Three days. Impossible, right? No, not with God. All things are possible. And he actually gave praise to God. I mean, who else are you going to give praise to? You're a hundred feet below the ocean with no one to talk to except God. I mean, if you're underneath a boat with only a small air pocket, God's the only person you can talk to. Sometimes it takes us going low, doesn't it? For us to look up. When we're high and mighty, there's no reason to look up. We're looking down on everybody else, aren't we? Is that how our life looks? we must sometimes go low. And what I'm saying today is God, God became lowly. He became a servant of humanity. For us. And then, He was raised from the dead on the third day. And then He ascended into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God. Do you see what just happened? He went from here in heaven all the way down to here and then back up to heaven, which makes a V for our victory. His descent and subsequent ascent is for us to be victorious over our sin. He has raised us up by becoming... Do you see what He's done? He said, the problem is humans. We're our own problem. Have you not discovered that? We're looking for the enemy and the enemy is us. It's me. I am my worst enemy. Not Satan. Not you. But rather, myself. And so God says, the only way, the only way, again, remember how I come to prepare the way? The only way to be healed is to become one of them. To raise them up. Not wave my wand. That's not God's solution. God's solution is not to speak a magical word. Rather, to send a person. <laughs> I hope I've emphasized that enough over the years with you. Is God always sends a person. That's the significance of John the Baptist. God sends a person. How is He going to save the world around you? How is He going to save your relatives? How is He going to save the lost around us? How is He going to heal people? How is He going to provide for the poor? To visit people in prison? He's going to do it through people. People in this room. People just like you. He always sends a person. It's never enough to throw money at stuff. It's never enough to let somebody else do it and you outsource it. Never enough. You go visit the sick. You go visit those who are in prison. You touch the poor. You be my witnesses. Not pay for it to be done. So he descends and ascends, which means victory for us. <laughs> um, here's the last thing. What kind of way are we talking about? John the Baptist prepares the way. The way is what? The way is Jesus. God does not come to us with a piece of paper that has instructions. He doesn't even leave us just with our instruction manual, manual, which is the Bible. Instead, again, He always sends a person. And who this person is, is God Himself. No one else could do but God. And so God the Son, the second person of the blessed Holy Trinity, becomes a human in order to raise humanity into God Himself. Do you hear what I'm talking about this morning? Do you see what has happened here? This is good news. It's the best news in all of the world because now a human is at the very heart and center of God Himself who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the persons is a human. That's why we have an advocate. That's why we've got somebody rooting for us. That's why we have a fan. That's saying, come on, you can do it. I'm here for you. That's why we have someone who prays for us and knows us. God, the Son, And so John prepares this way. Jesus doesn't just show up out of nowhere. God sends a person to prepare his own son's coming. Let me ask you something. Who in your life has prepared you for Jesus? No one ever comes to Jesus by theirself. It's always because of someone else. Dr. Dennis Kinlaw says, your salvation begins with someone else. The witness of Christ, the only way you know about Christ, is because of someone else. The only reason I love God with all of my heart is because of my father and mother's witness in my life. I've seen them love God, and I love God myself now. Do you see how this works? You are preparing someone to meet Jesus Christ just like John the Baptist was preparing. We're all John the Baptist in this sense. So how are you preparing the way? Who has prepared you? This is what church is all about, is preparation. We're being prepared to meet God one day. Aren't we? Isn't that what we do? We get in here together and we encourage one another. Brother, it's good to see you. I love you, man. I'm praying for you. What are your needs? That's what we do in small group. We're looking for a day when we see him face to face. The one who saved us by his grace. The one that we pray about. The one that I spend hours each week teaching about. The one I, the one I teach my kids about the one I've trusted in all of my life, one day I'll see that reality realized. But until that day, it's faith. (laughs) It's faith. It's hope. It's joy in here. Until we can get face to face with Him. Jesus is real. He's really in this room with us this morning by His Holy Spirit. It's the craziest thing in the world. I, you know, I talk about God a lot in my life. You know, that's my job at Calhoun. Here with you, when I'm talking with other, and all the while, it's like talking. It's like me talking about you, Garrett. It's like me talking about you with everybody else around. Garrett is this, and Garrett is that, and Garrett likes this, and Garrett doesn't like that, and Garrett, yeah, you know, and he's. Hey man, I'm right here now. Remember. Don't don't get it wrong. I'm right here. You see what I'm saying? I said, don't I'm right here. Talk about me, but be right about that. Because he's right here. He's right here. <laughs> he's right here. <laughs> Sandy was telling me today that She's actually broken one of these so, and she can glue it back. So, uh, so that's what, there's still redemption left, right? The redemption is this. We're the ones that are broken, right? We're the one, I'm, I'm broken. I'm broken. I am. Marshall is. The pastor is broken. And I need God's help. I need Jesus Christ. Do you know that you need Him? That's the first step. Do you know that, you, that the only way to meet Him is to kneel before Him? Yeah, he's the high king, but he comes low. He comes low in order to get us, in order to rescue us. All you got to do is reach out. His hand is there. His hand is there. Will you reach out in faith? We're going to invite you to do that. Jesus can save, Jesus can bring new life. Jesus has paid it all for you amen